0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Matt Swain, so without further ado, here he is. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2?
1: Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 8.
0: Today we're going to talk about shepherds, and shepherds' life is a very ordinary life. So shepherds, there are some shepherds out in their fields tending their flocks. Uh, This story, we've heard it so many times that we we kind of uh, grow numb to the story, or we grow numb to the the, the circumstances regarding what's going on. But let's think about it for a second. First of all, shepherds, the shepherds that they're most likely talking about, uh, in this chapter of Luke, um, were most likely the shepherds that were taking care of the ceremonial lamps for the uh, sacrifices. This job was considered to be a lowly job. It wasn't a glamorous job. It wasn't a fun job or the best job. It was a job, but it was it was at the at the bottom of the food chain. So, as far as the uh, people in Jerusalem or in Bethlehem. Uh, these were probably, you know, this was the bottom end of the society. It was considered a ceremonially unclean job. If you think about it, if you're a shepherd, you're going to be doing lots of stuff, and it's not really clean. Um, and a lot of it has to do with preparing these lambs for uh, for slaughter, preparing them for the uh, sacrifice. That would not be a very fun job. That would not be a very clean job. In the midst of everyday life, you're going to be, you know, rescuing sheep that get stuck in places they shouldn't be, or, you know. Sheep that are doing things they're not supposed to be doing, or I don't know. You're going to be you're going to be in the midst of all kinds of of issues with sheep that that where it's going to make it's going to be a messy job. In fact, I think today, if uh you know that show Dirty Jobs, this this would probably qualify as one of the jobs he could do. In fact, I don't know. Did he do one? Sheep, I don't know. They were considered social outcasts. I'm sure they didn't smell the greatest when uh, when they came into town. People were kind of like, oh, shepherds, oh well, they're in, they're here. And uh, I'm sure the sheep were came following along wherever they went and, and probably uh, took up the street and made, made a hassle for everyone. But God had a plan for the shepherds. In fact, he had a, a very important part of his plan involved the shepherds. One time when I was in Spain, I had the opportunity to meet a Spanish shepherd. Um, I didn't speak Spanish at the time, so I didn't get to talk to him much. But uh, we were way out in the middle of the countryside, um, it was pretty deserty kind of land. It wasn't, there wasn't much growing, much in the way of vegetation. And we're in this little town, and uh, all these sheep start coming through the town, and then the shepherd just slowly comes walking alongside of them. And the thing that I remember about the shepherd, one, he had very deep wrinkles in his face. And that was a sign that he spent many, many years outside in all kinds of weather. Whatever the sheep were doing, he was with them. And he had these deep, just deep leathery deep leathery skin that you, you could just see the, the, uh, the time that he spent outside with him. And I saw there was a calmness and a stillness in his eyes. And I don't know that that's the case for every shepherd, but for this, this shepherd, I noticed there was just a, a peace and a stillness in him. And I imagine part of that came with the quietness of the life of a shepherd, spending that time out in the fields among the sheep day in and day out. So when I read this, passage this week, I was wondering, why did God choose the shepherds? Israel had religious folk, Israel had priests, Bethlehem had rulers and wealthy people. There are all kinds of people available that God could have spoken to first. Why didn't he announce the arrival of trumpets to to these rulers, to these wealthy, to these religious leaders? Well, I have some theories. I think one reason may be he was looking for someone who lived a humble life. I recently heard a a talk uh, given by a pastor who works in inner city. And he said that uh, he he works a lot with um, ex-drug addicts um, and people who are recovering from from different kinds of uh, drug abuse. And he said in his experience of discipling people, he believes that ex-drug addicts make the best disciples. He said the reason for this is because they don't come with any pretension. They come very humbly to church or to wherever, they, wherever they're meeting. And the first thing that out of their mouth is, I have failed, and this is where I have fallen short. And they, begin with, with, they begin with humility, and from there they go on. They're very honest about their brokenness and their failings, and it's very obvious. Everyone, it's already obvious to everyone else, and so there's no sense in hiding it. He said, because of this, God's able to mold them and use them for the work that He has. So, the question I have for us is: Do we live lives of humility? Are we people who are self-aware and able to recognize our own flaws, or do we only see the flaws in others? The next thing is that they were available. You know, Bethlehem, we know it was packed to the brim because when Mary and Joseph got there, there was no, no room for them. They couldn't find a place to stay. They ended up in a, uh, many, many commentators think they were in a cave because uh, that's, that's what they would use for stables at that time. You know, this reminded me of, of the city we used to live in in Spain, Santiago. It's, it's a tourist city. Um, Every summer, it's it's a city of 100,000 residents, but every summer between one and three million tourists come to visit it. So you can imagine just the swell of humanity that enters that city every summer. I I actually, summer, I didn't really like to be in the city in the summer because it was so jam-packed with people. And they have this... They have a, a, an old city and a new city. And the old city is in the center of the city. And it's, it's a pretty small space. It's a, you can walk across to the whole part of the old city in about uh, 15 minutes. And everyone who comes to Santiago wants to go to the old city. So in the summer, when you try to get from one side of the city to the other, it is a hassle to try to walk through the city. In fact, most of the time, if I had to work at the cafe, which was on the other side of town, in the, during the rest of the year, I would just cut right through the old city. But in the summer, it was so much of a hassle. I would walk all the way around because it was faster. You walk through the old city, you get stuck in crowds, and it, I mean, it was exciting if you the first time. But after you lived there for a while, it was like this isn't so exciting anymore. And uh, there are people everywhere, smells everywhere, noise everywhere, pickpocketers everywhere. So you, you just had to be really cautious. Like you're trying to walk through the town, and it's just packed with people. It wasn't a very, uh, very easy place. It was very, very crowded, very noisy, very distracting. I think a lot of times in our lives, we, uh, we, our lives, our hearts are like the city of Bethlehem. We fill our lives to the brim with so much stuff. It clutters our souls. Listen to this quote from Sustainable Consumption. From, the ni- from 1900 until 1989, U.S. population tripled while the use of raw materials multiplied 17 times. With less than 5% of world population, the U.S. uses one-third of the world's oil, 23% of the coal, 27% of the aluminum, and 19% of the copper. Our per capita use of energy, metals, minerals, forest products, fish, grains, meat, and even fresh water dwarfs that of people living in the developing world. We, we, uh, our whole entire lives, it's not just our physical lives, but our entire lives are cluttered and full. Check out this picture. This is Kowloon City in the 1970s. This city, um, this is a, a section of Hong Kong. Um, and uh, you can kind of see, you can't really tell for sure the perimeters of it, but you can see it's kind of a square uh, where all the skyscrapers are in, in this picture. And what happened, the the, the story that behind the city was that uh, it was a very corrupt part of the city. Uh, it was run by mobs and mafia and so neither the British government nor the Chinese government officials, n- nobody wanted to deal with this area of the city. So everybody just said, fine, we're just, gonna, we're just not going to mess with it. And so what happened was, over time, uh, the people living in the city, um, it, it began to be a city of kind of chaos and anarchy. More and more buildings were added on to other buildings, and buildings were built in between buildings. And passageways were linked with cables and wires. And uh, because this was outside of the realm of any of the governments uh, surrounding it, uh, they didn't have refuge pickup. So if you had trash, you just drop it through the hole in your window. And they said after a time uh, it was so dense uh, that many people couldn't even see uh, any sunlight. This is 20 years later. Check out the difference in the city. After 20 years of this kind of living, that's what that city turned into. They said in the inner parts of the city, there would be absolutely no daylight ever. People would drop stuff out their window, and, and, and just trash would be in all the cracks and crevices. In fact, I saw a video online of somebody walking through the city, um, and they walked right through the center of it, and it was totally a pitch black tunnel from one end to the other. The city had its peak of population <clears throat> with... Uh, 50,000 people living on 0.026 square kilometers that's 1,900,000 people per square kilometer new york city has 25,849 people per square kilometer put that in perspective so it was densely populated people packed every nook and cranny in this place and it definitely was not safe because it wasn't there were no codes guiding how anything was built <clears throat> when I saw this and I thought about the way we live our lives in this frantic-paced society, I, f- I find that it's easy for our hearts to be somewhat like the city. We just pack more and more and more and more into our time, to our energy, into our hearts, to our lives, without thought of how it plays out, without planning or, uh, any free space. The shepherds were available. I imagine their hearts would not look anything like this as far as clutter was concerned. They had very simple lives. Sometimes we need to purge our lives of stuff. Sometimes we need to purge our calendars. Sometimes we need to clear some space to make room for healthy living. The shepherds were watching and they were listening and they were caring. Shepherds' job, while it was not glorious, they spent each night watching over their flocks, caring for them, making sure they were safe. In, in his book, Shepherds Look at Psalm 23, uh, the author of this book, he spent a year as a shepherd so he could talk about what it was like to live with the sheep and what he learned from that experience. And the thing that, him, that struck me the most is he said, uh, he said, regarding sheep, he said, they require more than any other class of livestock Endless attention and meticulous care. Isn't it interesting that God so often uses sheep to represent us? You know, there's, they need a <clears throat> meticulous care and endless attention. And basically, they're, basically, they're not very bright, and they need someone to help them along so they don't hurt themselves. I mean, that's, that's in essence what he's saying. If you look throughout Scripture, God works frequently with shepherds. <clears throat> So the shepherds were the first to hear the message of good news. They were the first to receive the honor of hearing that God was at work, that God's plan was being enacted in this world.
1: <clears throat>
0: so the angels appeared to them and brought a life-changing message, a message of good news. The angel said, fear not. Recently, Lori and I came home to our house. that We were, we were out, I think we... Came back from a pumpkin patch or something, and uh, we were pulling up to our house. And uh, there's, if you park in front of our house, there's nowhere, no other place that you're parking in front of. It's our house. There's no one. There's no other house like right in front of our house. There's the other house in front of us faces a different direction. So, as we're pulling up to our house, I noticed there was a truck parked in front of our house. And as I drove by, I looked and I saw somebody inside. I was like, hmm, and. I noticed he was watching us and we pulled in the driveway. He, he watched us get, and I was like, oh, that's weird. And so we started getting out of the car and started getting the kids out of their car seats. And I could see the door open to the truck and I saw him start to walk towards us. And so I kind of had my eye on this guy because I'm like, I don't know who this is. Somebody's obviously been waiting for us and he's approaching us. And uh, And then all of a sudden I hear, hello. And he said, I'm so-and-so, and I'm from the Department of Defense, and he held up a badge, and, I, and I'm sure my eyes got really big, and he goes, but don't worry, don't worry, everything's good, it's all okay. And, uh, and then he, be, he began to tell us, he was going around interviewing all the neighbors, uh, somebody in our neighborhood had been applying for a new position in the Department of Defense. So he was uh, going around interviewing everyone who might possibly know them and checking them. But I thought it was interesting, that the first thing he did, he, he, legally he's required to say who he is and announce who he is, Um, But he knows immediately that that's going to generate a certain amount of uh, discomfort or fear in people. And so the first thing he said was, whoa, 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 watch out. Everything's good. Everything's okay. There's no problems here. You're fine. And uh, that was really good he said that because as soon as he held up the badge, I'm like, oh, no, what's going on? In the same way, whenever you read of angels arriving, uh, it's always a shocking experience to those who see them. And, uh, it's only natural that the first thing they always have to say is, fear not, don't be afraid. Because, uh, we're, we're just, uh, we're, I guess we're naturally fearful creatures. <clears throat> so the angels come and they, they meet the, the shepherds. So we have to rewind a little bit and step back. What is the context of what's happening here? What are these shepherds expecting? What's going on? What are they thinking about? You see, Israel used to be a superpower. Under David and under Solomon, Israel was the most powerful nation on the, on the planet of the earth. Uh, and then they, they split into two kingdoms, and then ultimately both kingdoms were taken away into exile, and their lands were destroyed. Now, a remnant of people came back to the land of Israel, and they rebuilt walls, and they, they rebuilt a temple, but they were always under occupation of foreign uh, foreign leaders, foreign countries. Up until this point, they never had autonomy. They were never their own people. And they were waiting because they had heard many prophecies of a Messiah. Someone who would come and rescue them. I talked to the little kids about a forever king and that's really what Jesus was, was announced as. He was a king that would be an eternal king. An eternal kingdom would be set up that would never be destroyed. So, for for centuries they were waiting for this king. In Isaiah nine six it says for us for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those words were written seven hundred years before Jesus was born. So everyone in Israel. Knew the, knew the prophecies. Everyone knew that someday a king would come. Everyone knew that someday someone would come and rescue them and reestablish their kingdom. I'm sure there are many who began to doubt this and many who, who wondered if it was ever going to happen, but they, this was part of their story and they all knew it was true. The world we live in is a world that lives in exile. It's separated from God. It, it, it lives outside of the kingdom of God. It's no longer necessary for this. But there's an innate realization that things in this world aren't right. <clears throat> you hear that when people say, that's not fair. That's not right. So, fear not. And then they say, we have a message, we have some good news. Can you imagine in World War II, at the end of the war, countless millions of people were, were killed all over the world. Everyone was working together to try to, uh, to, to stay alive, basically, no matter what country they were from. Imagine the day at the end of the war when the newspaper came out And people are running up and down the street saying, the war is over, the war is over. Can you imagine the joy that that would evoke in your heart after so many years of toil and struggle and and so much bad news? That good news would have been so amazing. The good news that the angels brought far surpassed the good news of World War II being over. This was saying, no longer is the world uh, stuck in sin, stuck in exile, but a plan has been in place. This is a new day a new dawn, something new is happening. You are being rescued. This is news of great joy. Humanity had been waiting for this day from from the time of the fall. Israel had been waiting for this day from the time that they were in exile. And finally, the promise of all these uh, promises came to be. In Isaiah 9, 7, it says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And the best thing about the message that the shepherds got was that it was for all people. You see, sometimes it's easy, and this often happened within Israel, where people thought the message was only for the Jewish people. They thought this was just a message just for me, just for us. It's a message to keep to ourselves. Woohoo! We've made it. We're saved. But this angel announces from the very beginning this is a message for all peoples, for all humanity. This isn't limited to one nation, the world is being set free. This, this even goes back, if you remember. And Abraham, when, when God said to Abraham, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to all nations. God's plan is the same throughout the entire history. So, what happens when you hear a message? It causes you a change course. Often, in the Bible, messages of God cause people to change course. Think about it. Abraham, he was called to leave the land of Ur. He was called to go into the land that God showed him. He didn't even know where he was going. He was just supposed to change direction. Joseph uh, didn't have much say in it. He was sent into a different direction. David was called from being the fields of a shepherd to be a king. God had a different plan for his life, a change of direction. The disciples, God, Jesus called each one of them and said, come follow me. Lay down your nets. Leave your work behind. Come follow me. I have a I have a new new direction for you to follow. The rich young, rich young ruler was offered a change in direction. Jesus said, sell everything you have. Come follow me. Some messages and some information in life affect the way we live. One day we were out working in our, our yard, and uh, one of our neighbors down the street came over. And she was like, hey, how are you? And you know, we had some small talk. She's like, hey, I just wanted to let you guys know um, you may not know this since you're new here. But the city Hoffman Estates uh in the in the little that little piece of grass between the sidewalk and the street um if you ask them for a tree they'll give you any tree you want and they'll plant it there for you. She's like it's a great little thing to know like it's it's useful it's helpful. She's like I just thought you should know that in case you if you want a tree then you know you can take advantage of that. We're like that's awesome. That's great news. We didn't know that. And so Knowing that, we called, and I think next year they're going to plant a tree in front of our house. We don't have to do anything. We just called them. That was good news. She had some news. She had information that was helpful and useful, and she shared it with us. And we had a choice. Whenever you hear information or news or a message, you have a choice immediately. You can choose to ignore it and go on living your life in the same way. Or you can choose to act on it. Before we know Christ... We are the exiles. We are the sick. We are the lost. We are the prisoners and the outcasts. We are the sinners. We are the debtors. and We are the wretched. The good news is that we're rescued from all of that. We're rescued from the sin. We have been offered a course change. We have to choose if we're going to join in that course change in the rescue of all humanity. We weren't just rescued for our own sakes. And if we truly understand the message of the gospel, it's impossible for us to continue living our lives in the same way.
1: This leads us to a celebration.
0: So the, the, the shepherds heard the message, and then they verify the message, and then they decide it's time to share the message. So the shepherds, they took this information that they had, and they went to uh, see if it was really true. They went to visit Mary and Joseph, and once they saw it, and they found out it was true, they could hardly contain themselves. And they said, we need to spread the word. Actually, they don't, I don't think it was a conscious decision. I think it's one of those things that wells up inside of you. When you hear good news, it's like little kids when someone's at the door. They can't help it. They just run around the house screaming, someone's here, someone's here. So they were the first, the shepherds were the very first to hear the message. And it's fitting that they were the very first to share the message. They were the very first evangelists uh, in the Bible. They were the very first to share the good news with others. When we receive the good news, when we, when we allow that to penetrate into our hearts, we cannot help but share that message with others. It's not an obligation. It's not a duty. It's not something that we're required to do. It's something that we can't contain. It's something that we can't help but do. Do you see the difference there? It's, when, when you have good news, you, you just want to share it. It's good. It's good news. Everybody needs to know. It's important. They need to know this. You know, you can get a tree for free. It's important. You need to know that. This is good news. If people need to know good news. If you have good news, you can't help but spread it. You can't help but share it. It's not something that can be contained within you. It's something that flows out of you and who you are and the way that you live your life. This causes the shepherds, when they see all these things happen and all these things come to pass, the shepherds worship the king. It's been said that missions exist because worship does not. So at one day, spreading the word will cease. One day, we'll stop saying, He's here, He's here, because it'll be obvious. You know, even when someone comes to our house, there's a limit to how long our kids run around the house saying, he's here, he's here, he's here, they're here, they're here. After a certain point, we open the door, they come in, and then everyone goes and plays or has a party or whatever's going on. The announcement period is over. There will be an end to the spreading of the word. But worship will endure forever. Worship is the party. Worship is the celebration.
1: As we as we
0: prepare for Christmas this week, I have some questions for you. Have you heard the message? Have you heard the good news? Are you still hanging out in the field with the sheep, on the outskirts of town, in the dark, by yourself? Are you humble? Are you available? Are you being watchful? Are you still living, exiled from the presence of God? If you haven't yet made the journey to visit the eternal king, who's wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, there's an open invitation to do so. So maybe you heard this message. Have you changed course in your life? Do you find that hearing the good news did anything in your life to change the way that you live? Has it changed the? Has it affected your daily life, the way you conduct yourself in business, the way you conduct yourself in your family, the way you conduct yourself when you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off, things like that? Has the good news affected your daily life? After you've made this choice, change course change. Have you joined in the celebration? see, many people change the course of their life, and they they do things. But there's a celebration going on. There's a party happening. Have you joined in in this celebration? Do you find that the words of Scripture drip from your mouth and pepper your speech, whether others know it's Scripture or not? Do you find that the way that you treat others is a, a reflection of God's love for you? Have you joined in worshiping God in every act of your daily life? That is joining in the celebration. You just can't help but do it. God chooses to work with normal, ordinary, unglamorous people to bring about his purposes. He's given us the best news in the history of humanity. Let's worship the new king. Let's celebrate together. And let's join him in bringing good news to the world. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the announcement of the good news that your Son was born, a Savior who has come to this world to rescue us from living in exile, living outside of your will and your plan for our lives. Lord, we come to you today and we examine our hearts and we ask you to reveal in us any of the ways that we're not being receptive to you and your message. Lord, maybe this is the first time we've heard you, the message that you have for us. If that's the case, Lord, I pray that you will continue to work in our hearts and cause us to seek you and cause us to verify that this message is true, cause us to seek out this baby in a manger and find out who he really is. Father, maybe, we've, uh, maybe we need to make a course change in our lives. Maybe there's something else you're calling us to. If that's the case, Lord, we pray that you'll make that very clear and very obvious in our lives. And Father, we just thank you for this season of life. This season we call Christmas, referred to as Advent. This time where we we relook at your birth. We look at the way that you rescued us through this little baby, this little child. Father, we just pray that during this time, during this season, that we won't miss out on the celebration because of all the hustle and bustle and all the things that are packed into our lives. Lord, we pray that we will clear away and make a way for you. Make a way for this little baby. Father, we pray that this baby will have the best of places in our lives, in our hearts, not the leftovers. Father, we just come before you and we worship you as King of all.
1: Amen. We're going to have a time of extended worship
0: a time to really respond and let our hearts kind of wrap around what we've heard and and this Christmas season. So let's stand together and sing these songs uh, to the Lord. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.